When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Betches Media presents... Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. Look, he's a sick puppy. He, he, shouldn't, be, he shouldn't be there. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. I'm going to punch him out and I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. The Betches Sub Podcast. A speaker has not been elected. Hello, this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I'm Amanda Duperman, the news director at Betches. I'm Elise Morales, a comedian and writer of the SUP newsletter. And I'm Millie Tamaris, comedian and SUP video contributor. And birthday, birthday queen of the of the weekend, <laughs> of the week, of the month, of happy, the happy year. of the year. How how was your, I mean, I feel like you, you planned your Barbenheimer birthday before people even really understood what the cultural impact of Barbenheimer would be. Yeah, you know, and that is the plight of being a trendsetter is that mm-hmm. you got to always plan ahead. People don't see your vision. You come, they they come and they follow you. That's fine. I had a great birthday. Um, just had a Barbie, Barbenheimer party. I will say I just, and maybe this is a reflection of what's going on in the world. But, you know, it was Barbenheimer. But obviously, my friends, my circle was way more excited to to do the Barbie. The five or six people of the party that did dress up Oppenheimer were a little bit upset. <laughs> They're like, where is everybody? It was a heavily skewed Barbie, I will say. I went as the Kate McKinnon fucked up Barbie. Uh, And I just want to say that the costume was a hit. And if you guys see me wearing the same costume for Halloween this year, mind your business. Yeah, no, for sure. Keep it between us girls who know that I test drove the costume at Millie's birthday and was like, this is actually pretty successful. I wish I wish I I wish I had known that because Mike and I, you and Mike share a birthday or like a same birthday. What which day is your birthday? July 21st. His is the 20th. But we went out. We had like a longstanding reservation on the 20th. And also the thing the thing about I knew before moving to Brooklyn, I obviously knew that the neighborhoods are not close. I don't think I realized that I'm like just as far from Bushwick as I am from like the Upper <laughs> West Side. Yes. But how well, yeah. I don't that we could that, have just, yeah. uh, but of course, had I know we could have just put on some black garments and then been the standout Oppenheimers of the mm-hmm. evening. Yes. And I, would, yeah, I just was have. too intimidated by trying to out Barbie some of the people on that list. No, no, no. Also, people were like, oh, I want to go to your thing, but I don't want to dress up. And this is what. My 30-something, not going to reveal how long of life, right? If you say, if you have a costume party, but you're like costumes optional, no one's going to dress up. No one's going to dress up. And then you're going to be dressed up as the only person at your party. So 
I am all of my invites are like, if you do not dress up, you will get kicked out. <laughs> and I think that does intimidate people. And people are like, that's so much pressure. And I get it. But also, I don't know. What Listen, to do you have a vibe like, you want to curate. It is a I costume have a vibe party. And everyone comes and everyone comes dressed up. And if you're up, not up to the challenge, then stay then, home. Yeah, which is just, you know, whatever. But yes, it was. Hopefully the studios learn from uh, this incredibly a successful twin release. We're going to start with our number, which of course is still still Barbie related. I mean, I know people can't stop talking about the marketing budget for this film, but the organic earned media is just, you can't even put a number on it. We're going to talk about it for the bulk of today's show. Okay. <laughs> today's number is $155 million. That is how much money Barbie made in ticket sales over the weekend just in the United States. But globally, the film pulled in $377 million. It cost about $145 million to make and then had an additional marketing budget of $150 million. So, I mean, if I'm doing math right, I'm not math Barbie, but it just sounds like (laughs) Greta Gerwig already made the money back. Yes. Yeah. In a weekend. And then some. And then some, yes. Already in the first weekend, which is impressive. Incredible. And women made up 65% of that audience. I don't, I, I guess I thought it would be higher, but the girls, gays, and theys, they came out. Yes. Oppenheimer pulled in about 80 million nationally. Again, that's compared to about 155 million for Barbie. But this was also the first time that one movie opened to more than $100 million and another movie opened to more than 80 million in the same weekend. All that to say, like, Feminism helps everybody because I feel like Oppenheimer definitely got a Barbie bump. It's not really any shade to Oppenheimer, no. but I know a lot of people who did no shade the double to feature Mr. Oppenheimer no, that's crazy. and his contributions. <laughs> but I was actually surprised in my feed about how many people did do the Barbenheimer double feature of it all. Do you know who's going to do one and write about it for us? You're going to hmm. love this. Miss Caitlin Bird. Oh, my God. I'm. That I'm very thrilled exactly. to read about. <laughs> but on. I'm also like, it was a lot of people where I'm like, I definitely think this person would have seen Barbie. Do I think this person would have seen Oppenheimer? I'm not 100% sure. I personally don't know if I'll be seeing Oppenheimer in theaters. Mm. Maybe I would watch it. That that feels, for me, for me, that feels like a home watch. Yeah, you're not yeah, going to go to yeah, a yeah. 4 a.m. IMAX screening like some people are. I would watch no. it at, at the Alamo, like have yeah. a dinner, yeah. you know, have a few cocktails, dinner, snack. Because it's three hours. Yeah. It's hard. Like make a I, night of it. Call it the Manhattan Project. Yes. Go, go oh, my God. Town. No. Yeah. But um, for real, like. I can't believe people are surprised. Like a two hour fun movie with multiple musical dance sequences where everything's pink or a three hour extremely heavy movie about one of the worst atrocities that humankind has ever created. It's yeah, it's one of the best things we did and one of the worst things we did. It's really um, an immersion in the human experience, one that I'm not sure I'm up for. Barbie, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, best, the best of times, uh, worst of times. I'm kidding. So some other, this reminded me, when I saw this, I was thinking about like, of course, like everybody goes to see Barbie and then spends money to help buoy our Oppenheimer, just like the Women's World Cup players going to have to share their money. But this is how feminism works. Some other fun stats here was that this beats the existing record for the best opening weekend of the year. 
Barbie also broke the first weekend record for a film directed by a woman that was previously held by Patty Jenkins for Wonder Woman. Yeah. And I had read in an interview from before this came out that Greta Gerwig felt really strongly that because of the success of that weekend and Patty Jenkins' success there um, was was kind of opened the door for her to sort of get such a big budget to make um, a movie like this. But I couldn't – that was lovely to read, but I couldn't help but think that in the year 2023, like, women still need, like, a proof of concept. It's like, let's make sure a lady can can do it first. Yeah, and, like, the thing about, you know, what we were talking about directing, it is, it like, when you view – Every movie production and like this has helped me in like comedy and like pitching and TV. But when you view every every movie production as kind of its own company, its own startup, and like you just think about how many startups are like head by women CEOs and stuff like that, because it it just takes a lot of money and a lot of people to bank on you and to be in charge of an entire enterprise. Again, the marketing it's all relying on like one person and for it to be a woman is so rare but again like every minor success is proof of concept and stuff so yeah. even though like patty jenkins and greta girl cannot be more different like wonder woman it was like a superhero movie and yeah. all this stuff and greta girl talks about like the female experience and all that like it is just like okay well i guess we can put $300 million we can bet on Greta Gerwig mm -hmm. to get the girlies out because Patty Jake, you know, right. it is like sad and crazy, but it, it just goes back to like the art of directing is so much like being a CEO and like mm -hmm. the, the head of a company. So, yeah. Yeah. And when you think about like, so think about other like huge, like when you think about like a James Cameron, someone whose movies are these yeah. Huge, like basically, I mean, James Cameron was a director before Titanic, but it's like it when you make a movie that is successful on this level, what it affords you as a director to make in the future is mm -hmm. so huge. So, like, the fact that Greta Gerwig yeah. has this enormous success with Barbie, her projects are going to be greenlit well into the future, even even things that are like maybe more esoteric. Like mm -hmm. I, her, I love Greta Gerwig so much. We were, we were talking about Fan this girl. at Millie's birthday. Yeah. Like I love her work. I think that she's so smart and brilliant. And the fact that she has this under her belt means that like, she's going to be able to experiment with the form even more, do even more cool stuff, take on even bigger properties or smaller things that she wants to take a chance on. Like it just, it means such huge things for her and her work going forward. It's really awesome. Yeah. And that means a lot to all of us. I mean, isn't she doing Narnia right now? Ooh, I didn't even know that, but that's really fun. <laughs> I'll double check that. But like, and the fact that she, who we all trust her vision and know that she infuses everything with a thoughtfulness and like an understanding of women means that those big things that everybody's going to see, we can kind of trust more that it's not going to have, she's going to make sure that the representations are authentic and that they're not harmful. Um, and and like she also said in that interview, she's like, I hope this makes it easier for the next person that wants to do a super girly movie the same weekend as like a, you know, a Christopher Nolan like release. Um, Which was all dudes. Yeah. It's really. all dudes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, it's like 20,000 
famous male actors in Oppenheimer. Yeah, I guess that's just another thing is like leaning into the feminine. I just think it's cool. Like it's just a cool cultural shift. I know it's getting a lot of criticism on like it, it, it didn't like make these really radical feminist points, which is like, I don't think a movie about toys should, but <laughs> I think it makes some really great feminist points. But I, I also think, yeah, like for the longest time, things that are targeted to women has always been secondary, not seen as important, been like ridiculed and all that. So it's always yeah. fun just in general as like a macrocosm of culture, like to see things that are, you know, with women as the focus or women as the target audience, like get acclaim, get the money, get all of that. You know, I think yeah. it's, it's just really cool. Yeah. It almost like makes me sort of think this is like sort of parallel, but it's like, you know, Vanderpump getting an Emmy nomination. It's like for decades, reality TV, which mostly women watch has been derided as like light fare that mm-hmm. isn't worth anyone's time. But it's like, it's actually, these are actually like cultural, big cultural moments and it pays off being, being invested in them. Well, yeah. And like even growing up, like for most of our lives, movies that were geared towards women were called chick flicks and mm-hmm. they were considered dumb and bad and not considered like, worthwhile pieces of cinema, even Mm -hmm. though like if you actually look back at like quote unquote chick flicks and rom-coms and whatever, they have some of the most lasting Mm -hmm. cultural impact Mm -hmm. out like of any movie. And they like actually go into a lot of like emotional, interesting themes. But for so long, it was just like, yeah, those are chick flicks. They're not right. like serious movies. Yeah. There's a reason why I wanted to watch. I would watch Clueless every weekend. I would I would watch Drop Dead Gorgeous every oh my weekend God. because Great I was movie. I was learning from yes. them every week picking things up. <laughs> Drop Dead Gorgeous is like I I don't understand why it's not like more canon. Like, it is. I it, mean, it is. It's just amongst the gays it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fucking exquisite. Me like camera and me without a stitch of makeup on. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> spiritual ancestor of, of I don't know who made that movie but it, it's giving like spiritual ancestor of Greta Gerwig a little bit well yeah I just feel like also what Barbie reminded me of too which is like something um it just reminded me of Josie and the Pussycats in oh, that cool. like yes. yeah. using femininity like and feminine culture as a thing ripe for satire is something again like chick flicks are like disregarded and i know like josie and the pussycats like got terrible reviews from yeah. roger Ebert and all that stuff but it's just like like yeah just yeah. using femininity as a, a thing ripe for satire and like g- criticizing culture it's just like it, it is really cool to see that you know barbie also like wouldn't have been possible without stuff like that where it's like not only can we make like funny like or things geared to women, but they're also, I mean, Drop Dead Gorgeous too is like, we're also going to criticize how society treats women and treats consumerism and all this shit. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, when you're kind of hanging out with a group of people and you just know and trust that you're all girls, girls, and then you can actually kind of like have more critical conversations about yourself because there's not the suspicion. It's like one of you is a pick me, one of you is going to be like, oh, these girls talking about this, this and that. It's like when we're all on the same page that like it is 
it is not a flippant or silly thing to like girly things and to be into womenhood. That's when you can like really sink your teeth into like their critique and stuff. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash fever dream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash fever dream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash fever dream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Let's talk about some people who did not like it for a lot of the reasons (laughs) that Millie talked about. So for this episode, we're going to ask, are men okay a little early? Not me. Goat's milk latte drinking. M&M's will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is Avoc- unappealing. Avocado toast eating insiders on That does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. And I do suspect uh, this gentleman we're going to discuss is probably going to join the fun sound that we play before this segment. So Ben Shapiro did not like this movie. Ben Shapiro hated Barbie so much and thinks it should demand so little of your time that he saw the two-hour film and published a 43-minute review of it. In this video, he also he offers his thoughts on the movie before setting fire to a Barbie and Ken doll. He also took the time to go out and purchase or send somebody to purchase. I don't really want to play it or read a bunch of quotes because they're just it's so predictable and boring. But one of the remarks that stood out to me that Millie was kind of getting at was he seemed genuinely most annoyed by the fact that the audience was mostly, as he described, quote, young moms and six to eight-year-old girls. And then he complained that nearly entire, nearly the entire cast was women. And so that made me wonder, it's like, yeah, you're a troll. You're going to react to all of these things. But it's like your fundamental beef with this is that it's not for you. 
and you just don't yes. think it should exist. And you are spiraling that you have to set dolls on fire. This is another conversation we bring up all the time. But now there is a little bit of a cultural shift in which for the longest time, because men had so much power and so much cultural capital, everything had to be targeted to them. It wasn't seen as acceptable or funny or good or critical or anything. If men weren't the core audience first and then everyone else, you know, queer people, women, this, that, like can, can try to find like associations from the leftovers and now a tiny, tiny piece. And that piece is growing little by little every day, a tiny piece of that cultural focus is like, you know what? How about we just make something not to men like, or like other people would want to hear it or like, you know, you know, and it's in this shift, which I think people like Ben Shapiro, people like a lot of people who vote for Trump or, you know, DeSantis is like, they did not think this would happen in their lifetime. And they are grappling with it. Like when it's like for the Mm -hmm. longest time, think about how many movies had mostly white people, even like I watch like a rom-com from 2010 or 2012. And like, it's always like, at least now we'll have like a best friend that's black or like the love interest is a mixed black girl. But like that was, this is very recent, you know? So, um, and think about like everybody who had, you know, all of our cultural ET, like all these things had was just like, oh, but it's like now that it's just a little bit tipping in the other way, Ben Shapiro can't handle it. It's also genuinely hilarious to be mad the Barbie movie is for little girls. Yeah. Why why are all these little girls seeing the Barbie movie? Why am I the only adult man at the Barbie movie? Like, what are you fucking right. talking about? <laughs> what are you what are you? Like, what's happening? Oh, God. <laughs> and he accidentally, maybe accidentally dressed like Ken in the music scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Millie, without giving any spoilers, because me and Elise haven't seen it yet, I did try to find a seat. I could not find a seat anywhere in Brooklyn this weekend at any time. Uh, we have not seen it yet. But, but you know, you immediately said, I can see why Republicans don't like this movie. What else other than the fact that it is not for them, which indicates to them that their kind of cultural hegemony is, you know, on the decline. What else do you think is is prompting this him to burn Barbies in a trash can? I think like, yeah, again, it's hard to discuss this without spoilers, but yeah. I will say overall, I think that it's kind of what you said, Amanda, of like when you're already bought in to like it's all girly and it's all fun then you then then you're able to have like it's just a a, a like the overall thing is a bigger criticism of like what it means to be a woman yeah. and like what it means to be men and what it means you know like patriarchy and all of that stuff is there like a specific outcome you think he is upset by or just yes. the plot and okay got it. all of it but all okay. of it but i would just say because the movie's not trying to convince you why mm-hmm. barbie's important or something it's just like barbie exists and it it means this for some people it means this for other people whatever there's just no way that i i saw this and like saw the points that they were making and yeah of course ginger lucky didn't like this right. like what they were <laughs> saying and also like the beginning which is literally like in the trailer so this isn't spoiling but like barbie land 
the construction workers are all women. The president's a woman. Everyone's a woman. It's women run Roman. You know what I mean? Cause they're all Barbie. Right. And like, that's kind of the point. And even in the dream houses, I saw this, like the New York times had a really great, like little TikTok about this, yeah. but like, from the inception of Barbie, even till today, none of the Barbie dream houses have a kitchen. And Ken is a boyfriend. He's not a husband. And it's specifically because Barbie was created because they don't want, like, before that, the only play that girls had was, like, kitchen sets and babies, like, to be mothers or in the kitchen. So, like, of course somebody who's, like, into trad wife bullshit it's not going to like this reality. Mm-hmm. Did you find Ken to have low, low tea? tea? How much tea would you like, like as far as testosterone level of the Ken, would you say surprisingly low? I'm how, gonna- beta was- <laughs> how beta was Ken? <laughs> Too rife for spoilers. I know. I know you're going to have to just watch that, yeah. but they do okay. mention over and over that it, it it they they do have a punk of plastic in there like like that they don't have genitals so it's pretty funny <laughs> that that was the low t but also you have to watch it because uh-huh. then you're gonna be like what is she talking about um, <laughs> oh, I can't but, wait yeah it's really I will be there fr- Friday morning Friday. <laughs> by myself in a well, front row I bought my ticket a, a month ago oh, yeah so, no, I was yeah yes I had not been on the craze and did not expect to not find a seat for. For a week. Listen, everyone was on Ticketmaster, like the Eras tour. Absolutely. Lining up hours before. And you're showing up the day of being like, hey, can I get a ticket? I mean, come on. I know. I have I a know. ticket for 3.45 p.m. on Thursday. I'm seeing it with my friends. <laughs> and I will be able to. Right I will immediately. Te- go to my Instagram. I will immediately assess the tea levels of Ken. Of Ken. <laughs> What's the tea on Ken's tea? With Elise Morel. <laughs> We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. All right, moving on to our main news. So you might have heard last week about new guidelines in Florida that require bizarre ahistorical instruction on African-American history. Dr. Kaday discussed this uh, a bit on the Soft Black Woman episode last Friday, so just going to add a little bit here. So the Florida Board of Education unveiled a list of new standards. They're all called clarifications. This is a very long document of clarifications. Some of them are pretty like innocuous, like legitimate clarifications, but 
some of them, the one that's really people are are seeing in the headlines is one that specifically requires that students be taught how enslaved people, quote, develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. <laughs> uh, so unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. The guidelines also... They instruct teachers to repeat throughout the curriculum that slavery existed in other countries. Like I was going through it and it's just every single like event there's, you know, the clarifications are like, make sure to remind them that it wasn't just us. And then there's a lot that like placed just like a ton of emphasis on the role that like any white person or group of largely white people played in helping end slavery. It's like, hey, don't forget to talk about what the Quakers did for abolition. It's just a lot of like Clearly, it's yeah, this and everyone di- made fun of them and treated them like they were a fucking joke. <laughs> it was yeah. all that. like, uh, and also it it was just us at the end. People there. like you, we yeah. really held on longer than basically everybody else. So, <laughs> like, important what- clarification. Yeah, yeah, I have some clarifications <laughs> as well. The person who's having a similar reaction to us uh, was Kamala Harris. So she heard about this. And she, I was reading a Politico that basically spontaneously was like, we need to go down there. I need to go talk about this. I assume she was thinking, I want to make Ron DeSantis cry. So her team put together an event with education leaders where she made like a 25-minute speech about, you know, this this portion about uh, how enslaved people were treated, a portion that basically like wants you, there's portions around certain race massacres where they want them to add like violence was also perpetuated by black Americans, but it's like, these were race massacres. You know, by that where it's just like, what, what do you mean? Did somebody like reach out and touch somebody as they were being fucking attacked? Like it, it, it's very dark. And so she obviously, she obviously called that out and she just spoke really frankly about the atrocities of slavery in a way that I, I haven't really seen such a high level person be this frank and candid and explicit about what, you know, these people that are interested in book bans and, you know, these parents rights people are interested in eliminating from what kids learn. And uh, she she added that this is connected to the campaign to ban books, which she called a national agenda. This was definitely the most kind of like media I've seen her get for a very long time. I think she took like a tone that we've kind of been wanting from her, mm-hmm. reading that she instigated this trip and she, you know, was like, I need to go do this. And that she delivered on a speech that a lot of people saw and captured the feelings that a lot of people had, I thought was like a great move for her. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important for, like, us to fight back against this and for her to talk about what this actually means. I think she, like, specifically called it gaslighting. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'll just say, like, you know, I went to public school in Virginia. Public schools in Virginia teach the Confederacy, all of that stuff in a very weird way that is not correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, like, I have since learned the truth about all those things. But like, I mean, one thing in Virginia that is they really go hard on is they're like, Robert E. Lee really actually didn't like slavery. And he really just, <laughs> he really just loved Virginia so much that he had to he had to fight for Put Virginia so because, he loves, at risk. because he loves Virginia. And it's like, OK, but actually no one was saying that you should abolish Virginia. In mm-hmm. both instances, Virginia kind of would remain a thing. What, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that entire argument is not correct. But it is like, it is something that, like, if you teach kids something casually in a classroom that is incorrect alongside things that are correct, then they will have to eventually either, like, 
seek out changing that knowledge or like it takes time, you know, like I think even in when like in early college or whatever, I always knew that the Civil War was actually about slavery. But I do think that it took me a little while to like unlearn like, no, that's actually just wrong and silly. Like that's just plain wrong. It gives you this idea that like, well, there's nuance to something that it, it there really actually it, nuanced, there really yeah. isn't. And um it is a really insidious way to yeah, te- teach kids uh that something that's really is as black and white as slavery being wrong has contours to it when it it does yeah. not. She said something in her speech I I really loved where she was like other people around the world know America's history. So we're just look it's just a bad look if we're sending our kids out there and they and they don't know what what truly happened. It's like what do you think these these kids these Florida students are going to learn if this a, a lot at freshman orientation and a lot in their American history 101 classes if they dare to go outside of Florida and all this is really implemented. Well, that's also the thing is that like Usually the kind of motto is that high school and like elementary school, you learn like the sanitized version of Thanksgiving and then in college. you. But like for Ron DeSantis to be even fighting for this in, for colleges, for public colleges to like have this shit is so sick. Yeah. They're blocking fucking student loan debt cancellation. They're making it harder for people of color to go to college and get that education. And then the education they do get like is completely skewed and just like not realistic. It it is like Mm -hmm. all the point. And for me, it's it's exciting or like refreshing to hear because for a long time, we've been reporting and discussing like Ron DeSantis is turning Florida into a fascist state when he did not win like by a big landslide a big chunk like a big chunk of Florida is racially diverse ethnically diverse there's a lot of black people brown people Asian people in Florida and like he does not speak for them for a long time I just feel like the democratic establishment strategy in Florida Sometimes I'm like, are they fucking seeing what's going on? Like, are they just ignoring it? Have they just completely given up? The most, like, political organizing I saw was, like, like, I saw, what is it, America Fear and Zoe Saldana and all these people, like, did a campaign in Florida with Hispanic people, like, two weeks before the vote or something. I'm just like, this is not enough. Like, we need so just seeing this kind of shit, I'm like, imagine if we had Kamala coming there often or like some kind of something often rallies, meetings, like this is what I, that's what we want to see in Miami, in Orlando, in Tallahassee, in Gainesville. Like let's not like we can get Florida back. It's not impossible, but with all the Ron DeSantis is just getting more fucking crazy. And it feels like sometimes we've given up. So just to see this, so makes me so hopeful so excited and this is what we want to see from Kamala like let's Mm -hmm. go girl like wake up we can fucking do this all the educational leaders too who like yeah yeah people have roots there they're not gonna want to give up because it's not as easy as like well well uh, everyone's just moving or this and that it's like people have family ties there you know so I don't know it's like 
what I was thinking when I heard this speech. Yeah, it. I said this in the newsletter, but it felt like kind of a return to Senate hearing Kamala, yeah. which is the thing that put her on the map that got her the national recognition that led to her running for president that led to her being selected as the vice presidential nominee. Like that is the version of her that I think people respond to the best. I also think that's the version of her where she's the most comfortable when, you know, just watching her. Like again, she's got that prosecutor background, that attorney general background. Like she is doing her best when she's, prosecuting the case against something and making an impassioned argument. And so much has been made about like kind of the weird space that she's existed in these past four years. But this was like, no, this is who she is. I know. I remember I listened to a thing like her mom was an activist. Mm-hmm. And, and stuff too so it's like both of her parents yeah like her she comes from like an activist background and so I felt like I saw that coming out in the way that she spoke out against this specifically um mm-hmm. and it's just yeah I think it goes to what Millie was saying I feel like Democrats play this game in Florida of like just trying not to upset like the people who are always going to be upset like like to tiptoe around voters like white voters and then like cuban and venezuelan voters who in miami who like like this weird behavior of like maybe if we don't like make a lot of noise they won't realize that we're also running they're not voting for you yeah yeah it's like they're never gonna vote for you so what if we try to turn out people who are going to yeah. vote for you and yeah. make them aware of what you have to offer and right? make, make them some excited noise. yeah make exactly. them excited to vote for you that's what we just have been constantly saying like rural white voters cubans venezuelans like like you're not gonna turn them like mm-hmm. let's give up on that mm-hmm. like yeah you know, or the, the ones one- who are turnable are turnable, but the ones who aren't, like, let's not, let's you not- know, like, I think there yeah. is a younger generation of Cubans and Venezuelans yes, who yes, are, yes. Ex- Sorry. like, yes. but the ones that are, like, hardcore, you know, I have members of my own family where I'm just like, you, you don't tiptoe around that, right? because they are activated always. <laughs> They know that you're running. They're not going to sit one out for you or hear what you have to say. So why don't you activate the younger generation, activate the people who are activatable instead of trying to, yeah, be like playing this game for people who aren't going to vote for you. It's just like Republicans do not care about turning off people of color. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're going to keep saying yeah. racist shit and all that stuff. And people are still going to vote for them. You know what I mean? Like, they don't care. They they're, they know that their base is their base. And they're not worried about tiptoeing anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. literal white supremacists. You know? And the people that can sleep at night voting for them, like, that's their own thing. But they still get vote. You know what I mean? So let's let's flip it on them, you know? 
they get votes by animating people on the issues they know that people get really motivated by. We can do that without activating people's like worst impulses. And just to put a final note on this before we get to our next segment, I felt like watching Kamala Harris, it's like, I feel like what they've been like, like she's like kind of like, she. I feel like she does best when she can be like, she can like spontaneously kind of like ad lib and she has like a target that she can really like go for and attack. And I feel like they've had her just like, I feel like I've been, they've had her just like playing golf for mm-hmm. two years where I like, I want to see her like powering through, like I want to see her like playing hardcore tennis or something where like she can really lob it. Like we're just sort of seeing her kind of like, they send her around to random places on boring issues, but this is when she really shines is when she has a very clear, clear target. And like all of you guys said, like, there are a lot of issues on which a lot of demographics in Florida, um, you know, are, are going to be on the fence about. I think a lot of them are, are pretty clear that, like, you shouldn't say slavery was a jobs program. So, like, yeah. let's tell more people that they're saying that because that is offensive to everybody. That's so funny. <laughs> Except for yes. the people on this Florida Board of Education. Yes, a thousand percent. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. For our next segment, we have an interview with Jillian Kerwin. She has joined us, and she is a writer for Betches and also host of the podcast, Always Looking Up. This week, she wrote an article titled, Little People Have a Big Problem with Hollywood. The article unpacks a few recent, very problematic representations of little people in media. And one of them is Hugh Grant, as in Oompa Loompa in the Wonka trailer. And another is some updates from the Snow White live action set on the casting of the Seven Dwarfs. So there's like you wrote, just in time for Disability Pride Month, a few kind of upsetting depictions that if you don't know a lot about this community or the harmful stereotypes, maybe you maybe you missed. So I'm, you know, to kind of start, let's actually start, you know, before the Wonka trailer. You mm-hmm. probably, we knew this movie was coming out. Um, yes. I suspect, you probably suspected there was going to be something upsetting there related to Oompa This is not original IP. This isn't a new thing. So I'm curious, did you watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when you were younger? And if so, how did how did it impact you? And how did those characters, I guess, kind of like hit you? What's your context for that? I did. I think um, a lot of, um, I was more familiar with the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the remake, but I've seen both. I grew up with both. And I mean, I was kind of told by our community as well as like just kind of seeing like this isn't who we are. But I mean, it's at the same time, like I'm watching that movie at the same time, I'm also seeing Wizard of Oz. So we have like the munchkins, but it's like that's the only representation that I was getting because Peter Dinklage wasn't Peter Dinklage yet. And it was kind of like, okay, maybe this is just how Hollywood sees us. And it's kind of like 
take what we can get. And then obviously now looking back, it's like, oh, this is incredibly, incredibly problematic in many, many ways. Yes, definitely. And uh, some people have learned from that. Others obviously have not. So tell us about your reaction to the Wonka trailer. (laughs) What what specific depiction, you know, is problematic there? Why did it upset you? And why should it why should it be, you know, a big red flag to all of us? So I clicked on it knowing that like this was going to be like I was going to be triggering yourself. I was bracing myself. I'm like, I need to see what this is. I need to, again, prepare myself for what the what people are going to be seeing kind of like, and then, cause we, you know, with these portrayals and the stereotypes and the behaviors come out into the real world. So kind of like seeing, okay, how are people going to respond? Also, how are they then going to treat people like me? So the first, like 90% of the trailer, I'm like, okay, this actually kind of looks like interesting. Timothy looks great. I like him. (laughs) And then Hugh Grant comes on the screen and Hugh Grant is playing the Oompa Loompa. They and it's clear. I don't think it's Hugh Grant's body. I am convinced it's not Hugh Grant's body. If someone wants to tell me I'm wrong, I will absolutely stand in my wrongness. But it does not look like Hugh Grant's body. It looks like a little person's body, and they just put his head on it. He's in a glass jar. He's doing his dance, and I'm like, oh no, we haven't learned anything. Yeah, we have not learned anything. This is wrong. This is scary. And then reading, like, what the director had to say, I'm like, well, what, like, why did the director do this? And the director was like, he's the only person I saw playing the Oompa Loompa. And I'm just like, what are That's we doing cr- here? <laughs> and, and you wrote in the article why. And he kind of was like, because he's like a little, like, called him like a sarcastic little shit as if he was like, just like a little person would be or something. Like, yeah. it was just wrong on all the levels. Like, no, no consideration, it seems. All the levels. And I'm like. Like, what are we doing? Like, we don't need this story. We don't need this. Well, it's also funny to be like, this is the only person I saw in the role. And I'm like, I don't know, man. (laughs) Did you hold auditions? (laughs) Yeah. That's what I want to know. Like, like, what was there? Ever directed a film? Was there a breakdown issue? Like, I don't know. Like, I... I worked at a talent agency. It wasn't... I didn't see a breakdown come out while I was there. So it wasn't during my time. But I'm like, like... If you're that insistent on Hugh Grant, and I'm like, was he saying this because he doesn't want the Peter Dinklage backlash that Disney got right away? Like, was he just, like, coming out against it, like, kind of, like, cutting Peter Dinklage off before he could say something? I don't know. But it was just, like, the fact that you see, like, that you want to continue portraying this type of character, but you only see Hugh Grant, who is an average height, non-disabled person, continuing the stereotype. Great. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Before we get to kind of the seven dwarf situation and how they kind of both of these kind of failed to take advantage of, you know, other paths to kind of correct this. How do these problematic portrayals impact people in the real world? Obviously, Oompa Loompas are not a serious character. It doesn't really look like the director has done much uh, internal work or work adapting the story to make like a fully, you know, well-rounded, humane depiction of a little person. I mean, he's literally in a jar. So yeah. Yeah, how how do you wrote really personally about how these depictions impact people in the real world? These depictions and not just the Oompa Loompas, but like the seven dwarfs, which we'll get to the munchkins, even like the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where they do dwarf tossing Seeing that behavior and like those things like for me personally, I've been pointed at, I've been stared at, I've had my picture taken, I have been physically like picked up and touched in ways without my consent. 
I've known people who have been tossed. Peter Dinklage, in his Emmy speech when winning for Game of Thrones, called out an incident that happened in 2012 where um, just patrons at a bar saw a little person and picked him up and threw him um, because they saw in they saw dwarf tossing as a sport in, I think, New Zealand, but they thought that that's okay to do out in public. Yeah. I know that people have been, you know, people walk behind a little person singing hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. And recently um, it became aware in my community there was this YouTube account, it has since been taken down, but was like encouraging people to stalk other little people. It was called Find My M Word, I won't say the word here, and but like it even like had a point system. And to, like, reward people for stalking, following, capturing images, videos of these little people and shooting, like, it's – these portrayals have just truly, like, caught a lot, like given people permission to objectify, dehumanize, and infantilize people with dwarfism. And this goes way, 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 way back before even, like, the um, advent of Hollywood, but it's just something that we still – that society at large still thinks is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how dehumanizing, you know, to like literally just put another person's body on Hugh Grant. And the point that you made in your article too, which was I thought was really interesting, was that like this is sort of connected to the reasons you're seeing actors strike. It's like mm-hmm. already little people, you're just not refusing to hire them. You're just digitally manipulating them. So imagine if studios could sort of use your rendering for anything, they would never bother to hire a little person again. They would just right. take a rendering and then use it like in problematic depictions kind of Forever. So we've been talking about also the live action remake of Snow White. Um, Last year, I believe, Peter Dinklage had a really strong reaction to that. And it sort of seems like the studio heard that and wanted to adapt the way they were telling the story. Can you explain to our audience what his response was and how uh, Disney adjusted? Sure. So this came, Peter Dinklage went on Mark Maron's podcast. I think it was like right after they announced that Rachel Zegler was playing Snow White, which I want to make clear from the front. He has no problem with. I have no problem with. That was not the issue. But Disney basically said, you are trying to score diversity points in telling a story that perpetuates such a harmful stereotype towards another marginalized community. That was the issue. And Peter Dinklage got attacked for it by people in our community who are like, you are now taking jobs away from actors. That's going to be how they respond. And that's kind of seems like what Disney said that they were going to do. And like, we're taking a different approach. And that's how people interpreted and then went after Peter Dinklage for that. Because and I do want to be clear, Peter Dinklage is the exception in regards to like little people and their treatment in Hollywood. He's not the rule. So fast forward to like right after the Wonka trailer came out, um, I'm on TikTok and I see people talking about the Snow White photo. And I'm like, what is this? Because, like, I, I I don't know. And I was like, okay, so let me look at it. And it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but six of the Seven Dwarfs are, portray- are being portrayed by actors of average height. It is a very diverse group of actors of different races, ethnicities, um, and there is one little person. And people were immediately, like, offended by it for different reasons. Right. Um, People were like, see, this proof, you know, we were right to say Peter Dinklage is taking away the jobs from little people. Like, and like, we're coming to like to the defense suddenly of little people actors and like attacking Peter Dinklage. And I'm like, and I saw this, I'm like, 
no, Peter Dinklage had every right to say what he said, and this validates everything that he said. Because again, his issue wasn't the fact you're not casting little people actors. The point is you're telling the story when we should not be telling the story at all. And this is why. And it's just, again, the seven dwarfs, it's like they're not seen as real people. They all have emotions as names. None of them have a name. And like to then see this and everyone was then attacking Disney for being woke, for being politically correct. I'm like, one, I don't know if this actually counts. Like, one, does this count as being politically correct? Like, I don't – I just – I, like, sent the picture of my mom before this. I'm like, is this technically political correctness? Because I saw, like, Megyn Kelly mm-hmm. just said something about it. And I'm like <laughs> – and, yeah. and then seeing – again, like, it's not the point – like, we shouldn't be telling these stories. There are so many other stories and storytellers out there that have never gotten the Hollywood treatment and, like, deservedly – deserve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, with both of these stories with, with, you know, not casting a little person to play a role that the director clearly wanted to be a person with short stature. And, you know, obviously like it doesn't matter if you're changing them to Snow White and the seven kind of like gender racially vague sidekicks. The point was that like, these are all kind of out of this world, unserious kind of characters. And what you explore in the article is that there's obviously a tension there between like, how do we make sure that the opportunities there that like, literally are for a person of short stature, go to people, go to little people with how do we make sure that, you know, these stories that just don't like, if there's going to be an Oompa Loompa, have some like imagination and creativity around like making it an average height person or like, so how do you yeah. think that, how do you think studios should a- a- approach this? Cause I think it's as simple as just like talking to people, talking to the community. I think that's the first step. And they said they did. And I know that they talked to like a couple people. Again, I don't know what those conversations were. And based off of what I'm seeing, I don't think those conversations went well. And I think Disney intended to say, to try to like humanize these characters almost by casting them as average height actors. And which again, I'm like, but based off the response, it's clearly not what's intended. And I think people are now more mad that they can't make fun of the seven dwarfs in the same way because six of them are average height. You can't call an average height person the M word. It doesn't work like that. And that's how, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think one, and I think we've definitely like, there's been this kind of like reckoning, I think post like 2020, post Black Lives Matter of like recognizing stories that have been told that have perpetuated harmful stereotypes or the marginalized communities. And some of them have been either taken off platforms, you can't stream them anywhere, or some of them do now come with like a content warning saying, this is a reflection of the time that it was made. It is not how we, you know, we recognize that we as a society have come a long way. These aren't the police of society, but we want to, you know, still, we don't want to like change this work of art, but we just want to make sure that it's clear that this isn't necessarily our views now. There are no content warnings that I've seen regarding ableism. Um, And even like if they had that with the original Snow White, that would be something. I don't know if – I again, based on the fact that they're doing this remake, I don't think that's going to happen Also, it was a cartoon. Like it doesn't have to be anything. It's not real. Exactly. And it's like there are so many other – there are ways to kind of – I mean, and seeing real ones, like my – one of my most favorite examples, and I talk about this in the article, is the movie The Station Agent, mm-hmm. in which Peter Dinklage plays this kind of like lonesome person. He is very into his trains, and he kind of comes into owning and living in this old train station and makes friends with some other people in this small town that are also 
outsiders. And in the movie, Peter Dinklage is made fun of. He is physically harassed. He is called the M-word, but it is real. He is a real human being. And he's he is treated like still a person. It's so, mm-hmm. even though they're calling him the M-word, I would rather see that where the character is real. Or he's played in characters in other movies where him being a little person has nothing to do with his character, with the plot. He's just, he's a person. And like, but again, he's the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. And my thing right. is if Hollywood, let's say, wants to start with casting seven dwarves, there is a family from the Holocaust called the Obitz family, and it was mixed, average height, and little people. There were seven dwarves in this family. They were from Transylvania. They were in the performing arts, and they were, because they were Jewish, they were rounded up, taken to Auschwitz, and they were experimented on because of their dwarfism. And like, there's a, there's a story worth telling. If we want to come to the defense of little people actors who need jobs, then tell them that we need to start telling stories like this. And there are storytellers who will mm-hmm. tell that story and who also just have original stories to tell that are not getting the same opportunities in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the kind of like conclusion is that if you're not going to tell like a full, humane, compelling, complicated story about the experience mm-hmm. of being a little person, then don't. I don't think in this show, Hugh Grant Oopaloompa is like having really, um, we're getting like deep conversations one-on-one of, about the like ableism he faces. And Exactly. And if I, he does, yeah. I'll come, I'll speak up and say hey. I was wrong. But like, <laughs> I, I'm not holding my breath. I'm really not. Right, right. Thank you so much for joining us, Jillian. We will link your article in the show notes. That is our show for today. Please remember to rate and review if you love the show. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is The Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.